Praise God. Well, I have exciting news for you. We're almost at the end of this series. Now, I don't know if that means Jesus is coming back next week. <laughs> but turn with me into 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I'll pray. Father, we thank you again for your goodness, your faithfulness to us, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you that he shed that blood on the cross for us. And that through that blood we have redemption from our sins, from sickness and disease. And we have a glorious inheritance that's awaiting us in heaven. Thank you that while we're here you've given us your name. You've given us your word and you've given us your spirit. So we're well equipped to carry out what you've called us to do here. For we are here on assignment. And Father, your word tells us that soon and very soon Jesus is coming back for his church and we are to be prepared and we are to be ready and your word gives us instructions to prepare us that if we'll do these things we will be well prepared for his return and so father as we come to the end of this study we ask you this morning to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to grasp and understand what you're saying to your church here at faith christian center today and we thank you for the grace to hear that and to receive it and the strength to do it in jesus's name Amen. We've come to the end. This is the eighth thing we're going to talk about. We've talked about the fact that Jesus is coming back. The Bible says he's coming back. It says he's coming back. Well, we know he's coming back sooner today than he was last week. And the Bible tells us that people, there are different theories about whether he comes back before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or at the end of the tribulation. There are some theories that say the church is raptured before, in the middle, and after, or both. <laughs> Some, there's one theory out there that part of the church is raptured before and part of the church is raptured during. And, so, and there's scriptures to support all of them. So I said, God, what do we do? How do I teach this? He said, well, the one thing they all have in common is I'm coming back. So that's what you focus on. The, you know, the theology of when, we'll just, guess what, we'll find out. That issue will be settled someday. But, but instead of focusing on and getting in arguments and disputes over that, while we're getting in disputes over that, we're not getting ready. So what, what's, practically, what's a practical value to us is to find out what, we, what do we have to do to get ready. So that's what we've been looking for, and we've seen a number of things. Actually, we've looked at seven things so far. First thing we saw is you need to make sure you're converted, you need to make sure you're saved. Second thing was to wake up or realize the time we're in. Third was to discover how much we need each other out of Hebrews 10. It says, do not, as you, do not forsake the assembling together all the more as you see the day of his return coming. The fourth thing we discovered was we need to live right. Just live righteously in God's eyes. The fifth thing we saw is we need to take our place because we're going to give an account of whether we did what we were called to do. The sixth thing we saw was we were need to abide in him. Because if we abide in him or stay close to him, we'll have confidence when he returns. And the thing we've been studying over the last number of weeks, which has been so helpful to us, is we need to learn to walk by faith. Not just believe in faith, not just understand what faith is. God has been challenging me. Because I've been walking with the Lord for 30-some years. I've been teaching this material for over 20 years. And, I, you know, and He's challenging me. He says, Son, I know you understand it. I know you can teach it. And I know you walk in it to a degree. But there's level of this faith you don't yet is not yet real enough to you to take me at my word. And it's going to be critical in what we're facing that we learn to walk by faith. Not just when we need him, 
Because we need Him all the time. To walk by faith. So that we learn that no matter what things look like, no matter what things sound like, no matter what things feel like, it doesn't change my faith in what God's Word says. Because that's how we're going to survive to the end. That's how we're going to overcome to the end. Revelation 12.11 says, For they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life to the death. So we've, had, we've learned. We, we, just, I, I, we could go on in this for the rest of the year, but I really feel we need to get on to some other things. So you're going to need to take the materials, you, we've, scriptures we've given you, and now you've got to do something with them. This is, this, these, these sessions on Sunday morning are not a substitute for your own study. Four of you got that. It's not a substitute for your own study. It's to give you inspiration, to give you insight and understanding so you can take it home and begin to study it out for yourself. See, it's wonderful to get books about these things. And we have so many books, and that's why we've got a bookstore, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful to have CDs and podcasts, and even some of you still have tapes and all that stuff. Those are wonderful. But all of those books and all of those CDs and tapes are other men and women telling you of what they've learned about God through studying the Bible. And that's helpful. But it will never take the place of you sitting down and doing what they had to do to get what they shared with you, which is to open your own Bible, get into your own Bible, and see it in there for yourself. It's called Facebook time. Taking your face and putting it in the book. And you'll be amazed at what the Spirit of God is able to do when you do that for yourself. So you need to take what we've studied about faith and do that for yourself. Otherwise, it will fade away. All right. And this is the last one. And this is the most important one. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to start just verse 7 and 8. But the end of all things is at hand. That's what we're talking about. Getting ready for the end. Therefore, because the end is at hand... Be serious, or sober, some translations say. It means wake up. Watchful in your prayers. And above all things. Say above all things. things. Say it again. Say all things. So above everything else we've studied. If you can't remember, forget, lose your notes, everything else. If you do this one thing, you'll be all right. Above all things, love, be, have, above all things, have fervent love for one another. The word fervent has two meanings to it in the Greek language. The first means continuing, constant, all the time. And the second meaning is passionate, out of the heart, Amen. heartfelt. And the word love here, there's five Greek words used for love. One word in the New Testament, five different words which have different meanings. This is the highest one, agape. This is the kind of love which which Christ has loved us. So he's saying, above all things, as you see the end drawing near, above all things, have a continuing, heartfelt, passionate, agape, self-sacrificial love for one another. Why? What's the rest of the verse say? For love covers or will cover a multitude of sins. It's quoting Proverbs 10.12. So if you mess up with any of the other seven, 
But you get this one right, it will cover you. It's the final protection and final covering. If you don't know what else to do in a situation, if you've slipped on the others and you can't remember what to do or you fail somehow, if you choose to walk in this love, it will cover everything else. Now, it's not an excuse for not doing the others because you find if you don't do the others, it's more difficult to walk in love. If you're doing the other seven, walking in love becomes the natural flow in it. But you you can choose. Remember we've learned before, love is an act of your will. Love is an act of your will. Love is an act, more as you're getting it. Love is an act of, it's not an emotion. It's not an emotion. Turn with me to to John 13. Gospel of John, 13. Verse 34. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but we're his disciples, right? We're his disciples, right? Okay, we just got more disciples. (laughs) A new commandment I give to you. Now, notice what it does not say. Because we translate these words in our head. He doesn't say a new suggestion. He doesn't say a new doctrine. He doesn't say a new principle by which you'll be blessed. He doesn't say a new principle or good idea for conducting your life. It is all those things. And that's so often how we look at it. We look at it as an alternative. We look at it as, well, it's it's the right thing to do. I I know what I'm supposed to do in this situation. I'm supposed to walk in love. But, Pastor, you don't understand how hard it is. I know I'm supposed to. That means you're saying to you, it's a principle, it's it's a good principle. But you're saying it's a hard one to live out. So we see it as a suggestion. That Some people see it as a suggestion. Well, you know, it's a nice idea. Try it. Some people see it as a principle that's a, that's a good one to follow out because there's blessings that follow it. But he didn't say any of those things, did he? He calls it a commandment. Here's the difference between a commandment and everything else. A commandment, there's only two choices you have. You obey or you disobey. That's it. There's no gray areas. Another thing about a commandment is a commandment is not based on your emotions. A commandment is based on your will. It's commanding you to exercise your will in a certain choice or a certain decision. So if Jesus is saying that he's commanded us to walk in love, and by the way, it's the same kind of love we'll see in a minute, then that means he's already determined we can do it. So I can't come back to him and say, Lord, you don't understand what this person did to me. You don't understand how hard it is. Because he does understand what they did to him, what that's like. He knows what it's like for people to do things to him. He knows what it's like for it to be hard. Because one of the last words, and we're in that week where we celebrate, one of the last words as he's hanging on that cross and they're mocking him. 
The Pharisees are wagging their head, which was a sign of derision. One of the, one of the thieves on the cross with him is ridiculed and says, well, if you really are the Son of God, why don't you come down off that cross and prove it? And Jesus looks at all these people, this whole range of people who saw him all different kinds of ways. And he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. But Lord, you don't understand how... Oh. Lord, you don't understand how, what that person did to me. You don't understand how hard it is to forgive. Hebrews 12 says, Have you yet resisted to the point of shedding blood? Has looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, have you yet resisted the, word, the commandment to the point of shedding blood? Pain racking his body. I don't want to go through, we don't have time this morning, what, what that crucifixion was like. But unbelievable pain, let alone what he'd been through before he got on the cross. They're mocking him. His own disciples, except for one, have abandoned him and fled him. So his, the, the, the religious authorities who were supposed to be, have prophesied to them what this was going to be, they're mocking him. One thief is mocking him. The Roman soldiers are casting dice for his clothes. His disciples have abandoned him. And at the darkest hour, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I think he can understand what it's like to have people do something to you and have to forgive them. I think he knows what it's like to have to forgive you for what you've done to him and me and what I've done to him. This is my commandment. He went on that cross not because he wanted to. He went to that cross not because it was a fashionable thing to do. He didn't go to the cross because it was a religious thing to do. Because in Matthew's account of the scene in the garden, he pled three times to his father if there was some other way. 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 So we know he didn't want to do this. But his answer every time was, not my will be done, but your will be done. So he went to that cross to, so, he could, so the Father could forgive you and me as an act of obedience to a commandment. Therefore, he can turn around and give to us a commandment to lay our lives down for one another. And one of the ways we do that is by forgiving. So, the, so that it is, the significance of it being a commandment is I have no excuse. It's not, he's commanded this, there's this gray area where there's an excuse. No, he's commanded I either do it or I don't do it. Now, I understand it can be difficult and challenging, and he'll help you with it. But you've got to first of all start by saying, 
I'm going to obey the commandment. Then he'll come behind you by the Holy Spirit to help you to carry that out. But if you use excuses for not doing it, you will not get the help of the Holy Spirit because he will not help you with excuses. Now he goes on to make clear what he's talking about. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Well, I love God. I love you, Jesus. But His commandment is that we love one another. That's more challenging. Because one another is not always lovable. (laughs) And remember, you're one of the one another's. (laughs) You may not be quite as sweet and easy to get along with as you may think you are. Sometime ask your family members. I command you to love one another. And here it is. As I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Verse 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Not the miracles that you do, although we're to do miracles. He'll do them through us. Not the word that you speak. The world's hurt our words. The world's hurt world, much of the world, has, at least in this country, has heard the words. Why don't they listen to the words of the church? Because they don't see the miracles? Maybe. Why don't we see the miracles? James 4 says, There's fights and struggles among you because you have not. And you have not because you ask not. And the things you ask for you don't get because you ask amiss with the wrong motives. Maybe the reason some of our prayers aren't getting answered is our motives are not in line with His motives when He prayed. Getting quiet in here today. That's a good sign. It's wonderful to shout, but a lot of times when we're shouting, we're not getting it. We're talking about getting ready for His return. As I have loved you, the world is going to know that you're my disciples, not by what you say about me, not by what you do, but that you have my kind of love that I've had for you with one another. And that's what the world has not seen in the church. They see a church that's divided by doctrines, that's divided, won't speak to each other, that's divided by race, not here, but in many places, that's divided by what people look like on the outside, that's divided by age. You get young churches and they won't have, the old people won't go, older, excuse me, more mature people, (laughs) won't go there. And you've got more churches where more mature people are going and young people won't go because they don't look the same. So we congregate together out of what we look like on the outside. Denying by that the unity of the Spirit, which we're told in Ephesians 4 to not cast away. The world's going to know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another that you have the same kind of love for one another that I have for you. 
Was that the kind of love that patted them on the back and say, bless you, it's good to see you here this morning? That's nice. That's called, oh, that's called being friendly. And friendly's good. We're told to be friendly and hospitable. But the measure of love is what are you willing to give? Well, what did he give? Did he give just his blessings? Did he give a nice warm handshake? Nice hug? Was, did he share his goods and, 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 and things with them? Yeah. But he gave the ultimate. He gave his life. We're going to talk more about that this year, about giving of yourself. Giving of yourself. Giving of yourself. We're going to talk about sowing and reaping, but not just money. Sowing yourself. It's one thing to sow money. It's another thing to sow yourself with it. Jesus sowed himself. He gave himself. And then everything else came back to, along with that. This is my commandment. See, how we get along with one another is not an option in his eyes. And remember, we're talking about being ready for his return. Let's move along. Let's go over to Romans 12. Let's get a little practical here. Talk about how we live this out. In verse 1 and 2, he's telling us, first of all, the first 11 chapters of Romans is talking about the grace of God, what God has done for us. His wonderful grace and mercy that he's lavished upon us, talks about receiving it by faith, goes through, I don't want to take the time to go through all of that discussion of that, but, but chapter 12 begins with the word therefore. The therefore refers back to all his discussion of grace. And he makes it clear, therefore by the mercies of God, I exhort you, to make a living sacrifice of your body. So not giving. Verse 2 talks about that to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The rest of this chapter and on into the next chapter is how you live that out. How we live that out, not being conformed to this world. How we live out, how we renew our mind, how we're to now think differently. And if you just want to know one principle about how to learn how to think differently, it's what we're talking about this morning. Learning to walk in love in every situation. Not just strike back. We'll see that in a second. So now let's go down in chapter 12 to verse 14. Right above this, he talks about giving, being hospitable, distributing the needs of the saints, giving to hospi- hospitality. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, persecute you. That's not the world system. The world system is bless those that bless you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You love me, I'll love you. You give to me, I'll give back to you. And that's fine, but that makes us no different than the world when that's all we do. What makes us different from the world, what makes us look like his disciple is when we bless those who don't deserve to be blessed. We bless those who persecute us. Isn't that what he did? 
Didn't he on the cross bless those who persecuted him, who put him there? I mean, one of the common things, the comments about people in churches, and often it's about by, given by other people in churches, is they're a bunch of hypocrites. Be careful what you call others, because Jesus said, why is it you can recognize that splinter in the other man's eye? Is it perhaps because there's a bigger piece of that wood sticking out of your eye? Why is it that you recognize wood? Maybe you're looking at wood to see his wood. I find in my own life, usually the things that really irritate me about other people are actually going on in me. That's why it irritates me. Because they're getting away with it. And I want to see them get it for it. Because I don't want to get it for it. And so, so this idea of the, the, that he was being persecuted, because remember he comes in... To, Today is you know, a day when we would celebrate in a normal liturgical calendar the day that he came into, the, into Jerusalem for the last time uh, on, his, on, the, on the donkey, you know, and they cried out, Hosanna, greatest you comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, they worshipped him. But only a few days later, those same voices that worshipped him and called him Hosanna were saying, crucify him. Same voices, same people. They were hypocrites. They were good church people. <laughs> they were hypocrites. And what did he do? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Bless those. Bless those who persecute you. Persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate them with the humble. By that, he doesn't mean, he doesn't mean about high teachings and high doctrines, about high and lofty lifting yourself up. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one. How many people? No one. How many? No one. Evil for evil. That's what the world does. I want to get back at them. That's what our flesh does. I want to get back at them. And that's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 5 and 6. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But that's not what I say you're to do. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now that implies you're not going to be able to live peaceably with everybody. But you're to do your part. I'm to do my part so that that make that peace possible. Beloved, talking to the church, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Leave those issues up to Him. Leave those issues up to Him. We're not going to turn there, but over in Romans 14, it says, who are you to judge another man's servant? You know, that's what your neighbor that you don't like is. I mean, I'm a Christian. That's what your, your... brother and sister in the church who said something that offended you or said, you know, they're his servant. And he says, don't judge another man's servant. Now, there are things we are to judge. We're to judge behavior sometimes. We're to judge attitudes. We're to judge spirits. We're to judge prophetic utterances. But we're never called to judge a person. 
Because James uh, 3 says, when you do that, you make yourself the lawgiver. In other words, you put yourself in God's role. And he warns you, be careful about doing that. Be careful about trying to move God off the seat of judge and you take a place. Because when you judge somebody, that's what you're doing. Because Romans 14 says, he's another man's servant. Who are you to judge another man's servant? He says, let God judge him. He says, he may be able to make him stand. God, the person you think is never going to make it, you may find that God out of His grace helps that person to stand in the end and make it to the end. And God may have their house next to yours in heaven. And you're going to have to spend eternity learning how to get along with them. While your video screen keeps playing all the things you said about them. This is part of that commandment. All right. Just say, this is good. We'll try that again. Say, this is good for me. All right. A little castor oil this morning is good for us. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. Remember, he's talking about blessing those who curse you. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire in his head. Look at this. Do not over, be overcome by evil, because that's what it is when you try to get back at somebody. When you try to get back at somebody, you're yielding to the same thing they yielded to. When you try to get back at them, you're yielding to the same thing they yielded to. That's why it says, judge not, lest you also be judged, because the same measure you judge with, that's what you're going to be. You choose the standard by which you're going to be judged. You choose it. That's what the Word of God says. So instead, don't, don't allow yourself to be overcome by evil, by giving in to that spirit that's trying to suck you into this fight. But instead, overcome evil with good. So good deeds overcome evil deeds. Love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't that what Jesus' love did? Love covers a multitude of sins. Somebody just hates you. They're so upset at you. Try it out. Just love them back. Start doing things for them. It unhinges them. It keeps coals of fire on their head. Because you see, they're operating by a system that's the world system. And when you don't operate by it, it doesn't work. You know, nobody can make you fight. If you just close your mouth, it's amazing what that'll do. <laughs> Try that, husbands and wives. <laughs> just. Proverbs says if you keep your mouth shut, they'll think you're smart. <laughs> Don't open it and, just, and tell them they're wrong. <laughs> it also says a little letting of water. 
starts a great rush. It's hard once you let it out to stop it. So much easier to go. But what we need to learn to do is bless back. Bless back. Because when you start blessing back, you start getting into God's character and God's flow because that's what His nature is. That's what He does with you. You say something about Him. Oh, I never say anything about Him. Oh, yes, your words of unbelief are. I'm never going to make it. That's saying, God, I don't have confidence that you're going to do what your word says. Oh, what the devil's doing. He's overwhelming me. That's saying God didn't deliver you. So many things we say dishonor God. We don't mean that in our heart. But our words are the abundance of our heart and what we believe about God. They portray what we really believe about Him and His character and His nature. But He doesn't get mad at us back. He continues to bless us, be patient with us, teach us, challenge us to grow and mature, to come up to that level of understanding, to grow in the knowledge of God. All right. Now let's go over to uh, chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. That doesn't mean never borrow money. For he who loves one another, this is what I want you to see, has fulfilled the law. Now the law, if you go back into Deuteronomy 28, has blessings and cursings. The first 15 verses are the blessing and the next... 50-some verses of the cursing, including every form of sickness and disease. In Exodus, in two places, I think it's in chapter 23, and then, excuse me, Exodus in 23, and then over in Deuteronomy 7, uh, 12 on through 14, God says, if you will be diligent to listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do all that is commanded, I will take away from you all sickness and disease. In other words, if you obey the law, I will take away from you sickness and disease. Now take that scripture, it's also in Deuteronomy 7, 14. If you take those two scriptures, that if you obey the law, if you fulfill the law, He will remove sickness from your midst. God will remove sickness from your midst. That's under the old covenant. We have a new covenant that's founded on better promises. And here, look at this. If you take, take that concept, that if I obey the law perfectly, if I fulfill the law, God's promise to take sickness from my midst. Now look at this verse. He who loves one another has fulfilled the law. So one of the benefits of walking in that kind of love is in God's eyes you fulfilled the law and He's bound to take sickness from your midst. Say, well, how come it hasn't happened? One of two reasons. Either you're really not walking in love like that or you are and you didn't know the promise so you're not claiming it. Because just because He's promised it doesn't mean it operates in your life. You have to claim it, believe it and operate it, expect it. There's your side of this. See, this idea that, well, whatever happens must be God's will, 
is totally unscriptural because it denies that there's an enemy out there to solve your soul. It denies that there's a thief who's come to steal, kill, and destroy who happens to be the God of this world. So there's a part we have to play. But the beginning is, you've got to be walking in this kind of love. But one of the benefits of walking in this kind of love is God's promised to remove sickness from your midst. I said God's promised to remove sickness from your midst. First Corinthians 11 talks about because many of you have not rightly discerned the body of Christ. Now that means based essentially His body that's represented in the, in the communion service. But it also can mean the body of Christ that is you and me. That not having rightly recognized and esteemed the body of Christ, he goes on to say, many of you are sick and weakly and a number of you have slept. That doesn't mean you had a good night's sleep last night. That means died. We don't hear much teaching like this. That how, you, how we obey His commandments affect the ability for His blessings to flow in our lives. We like to say, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. Yeah, God's promised it. But the place of blessing is in the place of obedience to His commandment. And the commandment above all commandments is this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Pastor, let's go back and talk about faith again. That's more exciting. No, this really is. Verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, so on and so forth. Verse 10. Um, love does no, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing that the time, knowing the time, see, we're talking about the times we're in. We're talking about when these times come, like we're in now. Above all, we need to be walking in love. So that's what he's talking about. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of your sleep. That's one of the first things we look at. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. In other words, open your eyes. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not reveling in drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife or envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to, to fulfill its lust. Okay. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 13, excuse me. So we've seen it's a commandment. It covers all sins. We've seen some practicalities of how to walk it out. Now we're going to see another reason why it's so important to God. 1 Corinthians 13. This chapter, little chapter, which is so famous, is stuck under in between chapter 12 and chapter 14, which are talking about the gifts of the Spirit. 
which the Corinthian church was very proficient in. They were very open to them. The gifts of the Spirit flowed very freely in their church. And, 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 and they flowed because they were open. But if you look back in chapter 1, 2, and 3 especially, you'll see how carnal they were. They couldn't get along with one another. They had cliques. One clique was, you know, we're Paul's group. Another said, no, we're Apollos' group. He was a teacher that had come through there. And Paul gets, he just almost beside himself. He says, what have you done? Divide Christ up? He says, how can you say you're a Paul and some of you are Apollos? Did I save you? Did I die for you? He says, he says no. That's where he goes on to the discussion. Christ is the foundation of the church. Everything comes out of that foundation. I just planted seed and Apollos came on and watered, but God's the one that caused the increase. So he's addressing their immaturity here because that's what it is. It's immaturity. Immaturity, the sign of immaturity is you're ta- always talking about you. You're always thinking in terms of how things affect you. Ooh. Maturity is when you begin to think of how things affect others and spiritual maturity is when you really think about how it affects God. Paul says, David said, Oh my Lord, I have sinned against my God. That's his first words out of his mouth. Saul's were, I got caught. Don't do anything that's going to embarrass me in front of my leaders. That was Saul's reaction. David's reaction is, I've embarrassed and shamed my God. And now he gets into the discussion in chapter 12 and 14 about the gifts of the Spirit and how to operate them, and he sandwiches right in the middle chapter 13, because chapter 13 is the key to understanding everything we do for God. And that's why we're going to read this today. So he says here, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, that's the gift of tongues, which he's talked about in chapter 13, but I have not love, I become a sounding bias and a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy, that's another one of the gifts of the Spirit they were operating in. And understand all mysteries, that's another gift of the Spirit. Or all knowledge, that's another gift of the Spirit. Though I have all faith, that's another gift of the Spirit. So that I can remove mountains, and I do not have love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. We see here that in God's eyes, when He looks at us, and when He comes back, that's what we're talking about, He's going to look at us. The lens through which He looks at us is how valuable did what you do was to my kingdom. Remember, Jesus said, some of you are going to say in that day, we cast out demons. We did wonderful miracles in your day. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you who practice lawlessness. Paul's talking about the same thing here. You're prophesying. You're speaking in tongues. And this is all gifts of the Spirit in church. The words of wisdom, words of knowledge, gifts of miracles are happening through you. It's wonderful, exciting to see them. But unless they're motivated by love, and this is the agape, the God kind of love, then in God's eyes, they count as zip, zero, zilch, nil, none, nothing. So God's not going to stand there, the Lord's not going to stand there, and you're going to say, I prophesied in church. Wow! 
I laid hands on people and they were healed. Wow! Not that we shouldn't do those things, because they're scriptural. But what he's looking at is when we do them, what's going on inside of us? What's the motive of our heart? How do we live our lives when we're not prophesying? See, it's not how I, it's not the anointing and gifting that I may have in front of you on Sunday morning, is what do I do at home? With my wife. How do I treat her? And my family? And he's saying here, that unless we're walking in this kind of love, everything we do for him counts as nothing. Why? Because we're called here to represent Him. We are the body of who? Try that again. We are the body of who? Christ. Christ. So how can His body represent Him by our acts when our heart is far from Him? Remember, the Bible says God is love. Not that God loves a lot. He loves a lot, but He loves a lot because that's what He is. He doesn't love you because you're lovable. He loves you because He can't help it. That's His nature. He can't help but love because that's His nature. And his body should not be able to help but love either. Because that's his, our nature. But we still have flesh that's capable of not walking in love. That's why Paul said in Romans, therefore put on Christ. Every day you need to put him on. He's in you, just like I had this suit was in my closet. But I had to put it on. So it's my suit, but I had to put it on or you wouldn't get to see it. His nature's in you, but you've got to put it on so others can be touched by it. We were in a restaurant on Friday night. We hadn't had a chance just to be out together for, for a while. We've been kind of busy. We were in this restaurant, and, and, you know, and, and so we were trying to... It was tired. It was a busy week and trying to focus on each other. And this waitress came by, and you know, she said, Well, you've got a nice smile. And my wife was just responding back to her. That's all. And, you know, we had leftovers and she put them in a nice container and put a bag and we got home and my wife took it out to put it and she came running into me. She says, look what she wrote on there. She said, with big, like a sun on there, thank you for letting his light with a capital H shine. I had no idea she was a Christian. We didn't preach to her. She didn't preach back to us. I did hear other people talking to them saying, you know, would you please smile for me? Just in a very nice, sweet way. And they'd smile. She said, thank you. That looks so much nicer. She was all, her ministry was drawing people to smile. See, so I, she didn't have a pulpit ministry. But the point is, it, when, you, when you're walking in that love, do we do it all the time? No. But every day I'm trying to learn more, to put it on more. Because when we do the things of God, but we don't do them for this reason He does them. We're not representing Him. 
And that's why the world's not so impressed. They're not so impressed by us and what we say and what we do. Our political position and agenda, as right as it may be or not. What they're impressed with, what they can't find out there, what they're desperately hoping may exist somewhere, is God's love. There's a man that travels around the country now. He has a ministry. That ministry was birthed out of a terrible tragedy. His daughter was one of the victims of the Columbine shooting a number about 10 years ago or so. And he's brought a ministry that his daughter birthed by giving her life for. He goes into the schools. And the reason some of you children, some of you, some of you, you teens may have had him come in. The reason he has credibility is because it doesn't make sense in the world's mind that a man whose daughter was taken away from him, who was such a good girl, was taken away by such a terrible tragedy, should come around and love people, should love the people that shot his daughter. That doesn't make sense. The world doesn't grasp that. But it's a witness to the world of what God is like. And isn't that what we're called to do? So to God to form these miracles and things through us, which He wants to do, but if they're not motivated by love, they count as nothing. They count as nothing. I want to bring this to an end now. First John chapter 4. Verse 10. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected or matured in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. We have known and believed that love that God has for us. God is love. And He who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. Love has been perfected or matured among us in this. That, look at this as we're talking about. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment Why? Because as He is, so are we in this world. That's the question I have for you and for me today. Are we in this world as He was in this world? Are we in this world conducting ourselves, speaking, acting, as He conducted Himself and spoke and acted? He's in us, and we're in Him, so we have the ability to do that. And we've been commanded to do that, but are we doing that? Now notice why that becomes important to us in our study. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect, that means mature love, casts out fear Because fear involves torment. And he who fears has not been made perfect in love. When we walk in his love and give that love to one another, 
then we're going to have a confidence because we know that when He comes back, we're like Him. Because we've been walking in the same love that really is Him in us. The hope of glory. The fear, because Hebrews 2, we talked about that last week. The fear that the enemy uses to hold us in bondage is the fear of death. What's going to happen to me when I breathe my last breath here? Because it's unknown. Well, we know the known. We know we're either going to go to heaven or we're going to go to hell. And so the fear is, which one? And if I'm going to heaven, what report card am I going to get? What's going to happen when I stand in front of him? And the verses are telling us that if we've walked in love, if we've walked as best we know how in the love that He's given us and put in us, then when we stand before Him, we will have confidence in that day and have no fear of of judgment because we're going to know we did what we were called to do because we acted like Him. So when you don't know what else to do, when you don't remember the other seven things we've gone over, when you get in a pinch and you can't remember what to do, if you just choose to take the love of God that's been shed abroad in your heart and apply it in that situation, because God's commanded to you, not because you want to or you feel like it, you will find you get more and more used to it, you get more and more comfortable, you begin to taste the power and the blessing of walking in that love, that you literally can walk over situations. They won't touch you because you're walking in Him. When you walk in love, you're walking in God. When you walk in God, He's your armor. He's your protection. He's your provision. He's everything else. All the struggle we have is because we're trying to walk apart from Him, not in Him. And to walk in Him means you must walk in love. Notice it's perfected love. It's love that's matured. You have to grow in it. But you only grow in it by exercising it by believing it's in you and beginning to choose to give it in the situations where you don't feel like you want to or you don't feel like you can. But you can because He's commanded you to do that. This is my commandment that you love one another. My brethren, as you see the day growing closer, be, a, be alert, be sober, be vigilant in your prayers. And above all, as you see the day coming, fervently, passionately, consistently, continually, love one another the way Christ has loved us. Amen.